It would be easy for my last column after 46 years in daily news to wallow in the past, but the future for Auckland is too important. So said the Auckland Issues reporter for Stuff, Todd Nile, in his last piece as a journalist, published by Stuff last Monday. Auckland can continue to be the country's most important dynamic and diverse city, he said. It just needs to focus on delivering that in the best way for future generations, rather than in an incremental way that avoids challenging the comfort zones of people in my demographic, Todd wrote. Kia kaha tamaki makoto, look ahead, not back, were his very final words. But a day later, Auckland Council debated Mayor Wayne Brown's 10-year budget plan to go out for public consultation. I think he shouldn't be lecturing anyone on on disrespectful language. Come on. You can't speak to points of order. This is disrespectful. I'll remind the councillor that he called me a hypocrite in the last meeting. Okay. That is not true. It's on tape. Do you want to see the tape? Will you guys grow up, please? Come on. Councillor Lee, just stop it. And that's probably not the sort of boldness that Todd Nile was hoping for after four and a half decades of journalism, some of it as an RNZ reporter and broadcaster. Now, Todd himself got a pretty bumpy reception in the early days of the drongo-baiting new mayor of Auckland, Wayne Brown. And a Sunday Star Times profile of the mayor last weekend said that Todd Nile managed to get right up Brown's nose with more than a year of cool, measured analysis of the mayor's words and deeds past and present. Stuff's Adam Dudding in that article noted a Mexican wave of praise and reminiscences from councillors recently at the last meeting Nile ever covered. But Brown notably declined to join in the love fest, instead giving a small pained sigh. Uh, if there's a chance we might get back to what we were discussing here. And maybe Todd wouldn't have minded that at all. But even after Todd left RNZ some years ago, he's been frequently used on its programmes for his local knowledge. But first, Stuff's Auckland correspondent Todd Nile has been reporting on transport woes for years. OK, are you ready to go? Yep. So, Todd, what is a time-of-use congestion charge? Time-of-use seems to be the new phrasing they use for what we call... That was the details Sharon Brett-Kelly picking Todd Nile's transport brains last month. And seven days later, Todd was back on Nine to Noon with more about Auckland's cars. The sale of the council's biggest public car park building, the downtown car park, 2,000 cars uh, across seven floors, pretty much right on the city waterfront, so a prime site. And that slot came and went without any mention that Todd was retiring just two days later. Now, Todd Nile was also an expert in a more glamorous form of transport, yacht racing. He went to five America's Cup regattas and even went at his own expense to the 2017 Challenger Series in Bermuda, where he was annoyed to find that some journalists were inside the Team New Zealand camp, courtesy of the sponsors, and even clad in the sponsors' outfits and working with video content owned by the team and the sponsors. And when Todd bumped into the communications manager for the whole event, he pulled out his phone and asked him, are you trying to do away with proper independent journalism? It is incredibly valuable to have media, as I say, asking the questions that perhaps the brands don't want them to. Um, and to try and replace that or to try and say that that is not important in this day and age, frankly, is missing the point. Well, that was Todd Nile in Bermuda back in 2017. But meanwhile, back in Auckland, before he retired last week, Hayden Donnell sat down with this remarkable reporter on local matters for whom local issues really matter. Kia ora, Todd. Welcome to Media Watch for your 
valedictory interview. Oh, <laughs> right. The, the last act of a long career going on Media Watch. I've been looking forward to it. First off, you're a veteran local government reporter. Are you leaving the sector in good health? In terms of local government, generally, I think so. I mean, when I, as a reader and a, and a listener and a watcher, I find plenty of good local government coverage from around the country that I find interesting in, you know, the, the goings-on in Gore, that, that never-ending soap opera down there. Um, there's always something going on at Christchurch City Council. There's uh, Tauranga City still in the hands of a commissioner. There's, there's lots of good stuff that I find interesting, you know, wherever there are metropolitan or provincial newspapers, I think local government is still a staple for them. Cast your mind back to when you started how many years ago? Um, 1977. Okay. There was a borough on every corner in Auckland. So there was more coverage back then, surely? Yeah, there was more coverage, but particularly in Auckland with the amalgamation, it's become the scale of the, of the stories and the scale of what's going on is bigger and probably there are now layers <clears throat> that aren't getting covered, the things that are more specific to one part of the city than another that doesn't necessarily suit you know, media organisations that have a more of a national focus than the, the kind of suburban focus that used to exist. You know, Yeah, that's where we have hollowed out a little bit, right? On those, we used to have really quite... Uh, well-staffed suburban papers and North Shore Times, Rodney Times. Mm. Uh, Each had their own newsroom, yeah. had their own staff, had their own editor. No longer. No. So the, the, the mastheads, the titles still exist, but they're served out of, a, out of a pool of material. But, yeah, that is, you know, not just in Auckland, but that's happening around the country, that that really local level of hyper-local coverage is, is kind of going. I don't know that anyone could now start a newspaper as such with a physical product. I mean, the costs just of printing and producing and, and distributing. There's always this hope that something will come and fill the void at the more local level. I guess it's going to have to be online. But then there's that old online thing of, you know, how do you pay for it? What's one part of council business that you really wish is, was covered more in our media? I think particularly in the cities and, and particularly in Auckland, the, the area that kind of has my focus most of the time is that kind of intersection between climate change policy and transport, because between the two of those, that is the biggest challenge that the city faces in how to do its bit to curb global warming, and that will happen through changes to transport. You know, that almost is the existential issue more so than will the rates be 9% or 8% and that sort of thing. I don't think there could be too, there can't be too much coverage of that area in my view. I hope I'm wrong, but in Auckland particularly, I kind of have the sense that things may be shifting in reverse or at least coasting in neutral rather than the big kind of policy and political commitments that were made, you know, targets were set, we'll halve emissions by 2030, they'll be carbon zero by 2050. And having done all the right things, now that it is time to actually do the stuff and implement this transport emissions reduction plan, there's almost a majority view, mm, yeah, well, there are other things to do and not quite enough money, so let's just, you know, muddle along a bit further the cumulative impact of the central government change as well and 
that there might not be such a push from the national level to deal with these things, I think is quite a worrying trend. And that's why I kind of feel that particularly for a, a big metropolitan area like Auckland, that is the issue for the next three years or more. Do you think we in the media have failed to convey the reasons for why these plans have been put in place and also what they'll mean for people? I don't think it's a failure of media. I mean, it's stuff that, that you know, there has been... Uh, a huge push on climate reporting. In general, the steps that Auckland has been going through have been well reported and, you know, the, the, the plans and the targets were all unanimously set. What is missing, I don't think, is the media coverage but the political leadership. If you don't have a mayor, if you don't have that top level of the council explaining to the public why these things need to happen, why we can't move around in that comfortable old way in our cars that we're used to, uh, if it's not a pro- top priority for them, it's never going to become a top priority for Aucklanders. Is there a space? It's not really been your way, but for campaigning media in that space. I think there's a space for campaigning somebody, whether it's whether it's media or or whether it almost feels like a lot of the campaigners for climate, for whatever reason, have have gone quiet. I mean, you, there were those great school strikes, those marches up. Queen Street and the main streets of cities by young people, you know, absolutely demanding action. And and even that seems to have gone away. I, you know, organisations like Stuff or The Herald, they're responding to audience signals and what people are clicking on. Should it be commercial media's uh, job to provide coverage that people aren't interested in? I don't think the debate is, should we do this because nobody's interested? commercial media companies, particularly digital ones nowadays, I I guess the name of the game is you need to have an audience as big as possible, an overall audience as big as possible to attract advertisers. So I suppose within that is the discussion, so how do we get that audience? And is it easier to get that audience in this direction rather than that direction? Um, And local government, like most specialist areas of reporting, like education or health, requires a commitment of resources. You know, it needs people to be permanently on it, making relationships, understanding things, you know, being able to figure out how to explain what's going on. And I guess the challenge for media companies is having resources dedicated to one thing when maybe the appeal is also having resources that can move around and do this and that. And Generalists is generalists, the trend. yeah. Going back a couple of decades, that was the bread and butter of media is, is, you know, having an area that you worked in and you understood and you developed relationships. And I've had the benefit of being able to do that. Uh, I guess it's harder now for journalists going into the trade, perhaps to find an environment where that ability to specialise and focus exists. I don't know that I'd like to be responsible for making those decisions and being responsible for the commercial outcomes. You know, it's easy for me as a journalist to say what it should be. Does it rob media companies of agency somewhat to say, oh, well, people just aren't interested in local government? I mean, the cliche in explaining why local government matters is that in people's daily lives, it's playing a bigger part in their daily life probably than central government. It's a cliche because it's true, Todd. It is true. Almost everything in your daily life is local government. The footpath you walk on, the bus that does or doesn't turn up, the library that may or may not be open when you want it to, the sports facilities. So it does matter, and I think people are interested. You look at the stats on participation in local elections, 
that does not seem to have come across to people. They do not seem to understand or appreciate or care that local government has this outsized impact on their daily lives. Is that our failure, that we haven't communicated the importance of it? I, I'm, I worry about the word failure. I, I guess it's who is the audience that the media companies are reaching, and particularly print. You know, it's it's people like me. It's kind of older, property-owning type of people, the people who vote in elections. But I, I guess the challenge not just in covering local government, but in in trying to get news and issues through is how do you reach them and how do you tell those stories in a way that, that they want to be interested in. You've been around since 1977. Has, were we hand-wringing back then about youth participation? I don't know, because when you were young, you thought you were participating. <laughs> were you voting? Yeah, yeah. And I, th- and I think young people do vote, but I think with local government there is, particularly among younger people, Maybe it's not understood. Maybe it's when you get your rates bill as a property owner that you really start to go, hey, I'm paying them all that money. What am I getting for it? Who's running the show? What are they doing? You know, even people who aren't property owners, local government matters. You know, it's are we creating the kind of housing that young people can afford to live in? Are we providing the public transport that allows people to live without a car? I don't know what the answer is. They've, you know, to get people involved in voting in an election is not is not just the media's job. You know, the council has to make people realise that there are big issues that people need to be engaged with. Never more so than now with the climate challenge. And I guess a disappointment for me is, you know, when you look back over the past few years, the the trend towards councils establishing Maori wards and Maori seats and Maori having a voice at the table. And and Auckland, despite when it was amalgamated in 2010, almost being almost a leader there and having the independent Maori statutory board, which wasn't seats and wasn't everyone's ideal, but was a start. Now Auckland Council having again kicked that can down the road uh, for another electoral term is actually in the minority of local bodies in the country that hasn't decided or hasn't established um, seats for Maori. And that's just one area where it, it remains not as relevant and not as connected to a part of the community as it should be. Hmm. What standards do you hold yourself to when it comes to your council reporting? I know that you can glean some of your views because you do analysis pieces and opinion, but I've found your reporting has always been very meticulously fair. I suppose because I've had the benefit of those years where you're allowed to put time into relationships. It helps not just reporting the quotes of things that happen in the meeting, but you can talk to people who can explain things. You can understand the issue that is behind the debate and try and convey what the issue is about as well as what people say about it. Do you think that sometimes we think of it as just too much in terms of both sides? You quote one person and the other. Probably what we should be doing is more like what you're doing, talking to people, trying to get to the nuts and bolts of an issue and bring that across. Yeah, so objectivity, I don't think, is about giving equal both sides equal airtime. I mean, Stuff and other media organisations have accepted that climate change is a thing. So every time a story is written about climate change, we don't have to go and find a, a, a denier, if you like, to argue why it's not a thing. You know, as long as you're explaining the issue and presenting, you know, at least two ways of looking at it, whether it's giving everybody, you know, five paragraphs of quotes in an article, I think that's being fair. 
And there are, I guess there are issues when, while you're being objective, you, well, I might have gone the extra mile in trying to explain the consequences of something happening or not happening. Can you give an example of that? I suppose some of the some of the issues in transport, even small stuff like the debate recently in Auckland around Karangahapi Road and taking away 27 car parks that are available on the curbside, sometimes only for part of the day, to enable the buses to go through. It seems like a small thing, but it's part of a bigger picture of changes that we need to make in transport getting around. So... It's whether we need to fundamentally change the way that we're setting up our road spaces and and enabling people to get around the city. What was the most interesting mayor or council that you covered? Um, I think hands down the first term or two of Auckland Council, which was amalgamated in 2010 out of eight local bodies across Auckland. Um, It created a council the scale of which doesn't exist anywhere in Australasia was created with great ambition that it was to enable Auckland to have a basically a greater control over its own destiny. It had some statutory things that it had to do which were quite bold, one of which was what became known as the unitary plan, one of those terrible words that just sends people to sleep. But in that period of three to six years, not only was this body established with these big agencies that had to get on with things like transport and stop squabbling amongst the eight councils that used to exist, but the unitary plan which upped housing density across much of Auckland around transport nodes and town centres and was intended to stop the sprawl and make the city more compact, that was a big and courageous thing that was achieved despite really loud opposition by my lot, you know, the white property-owning middle classes, who a lot of whom didn't want their areas to change. And so that was, I, I found that quite an inspiring period that that was pushed through where it would have been easier for politicians to buckle and just do half the job. It was the biggest moment because it represented a council saying the present that we are in is not a continuation of the past, but it's going to be the start of a different and a better future. You've been doing local government a long time. A lot of future focus is probably not what you're saying. But that was one. That was a moment where we're saying Auckland is going to be different from here on in, and we're going to make that difference. Are you going to miss it? Yeah, I am. But the great thing about being a journalist is not just the story that you produce, but being able to be inside the goldfish bowl, knowing what else was going on, the stuff that you can't report or shouldn't report. or You know, that is a fascinating part of being a journalist, is being on the inside. And as much as the stories will be interesting to read, I suppose I'll miss that part of it. Slightly different tack, Todd. You're a huge America's Cup fan, and you actually went to the America's Cup in Bermuda in 2017. And at the time, you got in touch with Media Watch to complain that the sponsor Toyota was running all of the media availability at the time. Is that kind of intrusion something that we should be wary of that's happening more and more in media? But at the time, that was an interesting development in sporting coverage. And I I think outside the America's Cup, that has become more so where, in addition to your basic mainstream coverage of an event, uh, a major sponsor wants to have coverage that they can be associated with. Um, So that was quite... A jolt, I guess, having covered 
five other America's Cups before that to find that arriving in the sport. It was the jolt of change, and that change seems to have rolled on through other sports as well, that, you know, sports coverage as well as being normal news media fodder also has a value to the sponsors that they want increasingly to get something back from. The gig, you, you, you don't think it'll ever happen in politics and local government? Wow. <laughs> Coverage of the Auckland Council brought to you by... <laughs> they do have their own media outlets, or they used to. Yeah. I don't think so, not in mainstream media. That I don't think any mainstream media company would link politics to commercial coverage. Uh, it's it's different to lifestyle things and, and certain aspects of sport coverage, but no, I, I don't see a risk there. Thank you very much for joining us for your valedictory interview, Todd Nile. Thank you. That was Todd Nile, formerly a long-serving RNZ reporter and presenter, and more recently the Auckland Issues correspondent for Stuff, until last Thursday when he called it a day after more than 45 years in journalism.